0: So, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 2, so you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. It's uh, the third Gospels, the third book in the New Testament. So, if you can get uh, to the New Testament in your Bible, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. We're going to be wrapping up our uh, Advent series feeling nostalgic. And uh, Advent is such an awesome time because it's built into the church calendar. It's like a way for us to really pause and kind of lift up our eyes in the midst of a season that has us so zeroed in, focused on what's exactly in front of us. Oh, I got to go to this thing. I have this party. I have this event, this concert, this thing, that thing. And Advent allows us to kind of remove ourselves and we've committed, right, the past four weeks we've gathered together in this room to kind of like step away from that for a moment and lift up our eyes and focus them on Jesus so that we might be able to experience Christmas in the right way. That's what Advent's all about and the, the themes of Advent enco- encompass that. What, what it represents. It's hope, peace, joy, and love. And for the past few weeks, we've been working our way through the first two chapters of Luke, and we've seen that hope is coming, peace is near, joy is spreading, and today we'll see that love is here. So we're going to wrap this thing up and put a nice little bow on it, all the puns intended. So that as we walk into the next two days of celebrating and all the hoopla that surrounds the 24th and 25th of December, we might be able to pause and remember the good things about Christmas. Does that sound good? All right, let's do it. This theme of love is, is all over Christmas, right? I dare you to find me a Christmas movie, one of the top rated ones that we all know in love that isn't centered around this theme of love, whether it's an old friend reconnected or a family rediscovering their love for one another or the romantic possibilities of love that are around this magical time of Christmas or even just the desire and the love that is felt in the giving and receiving of gifts, right? Love is all around. And maybe you've had this thought around this time of year, hey, this will be the year This is the year for us. This is the year that I will get the thing that will make me complete. This is going to be the best Christmas ever, and so my family will finally be complete, or I'm going to find that person that I can love and who will love me so that I will finally be complete. And starting December 26, we start to see all of the letdown and the unrealistic and expectations kind of fall flat I mean, psychologists have had to develop a term for what happens to us after Christmas. It's called the Christmas blues, and it's a real thing. And so if the love we're looking for at Christmas is rooted in what the world can offer us, then I hate to say it, you will not have a very merry Christmas. You will be left wanting. You will be unfulfilled. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week. No, the beauty of this is that we don't have to stay in that. That is not the end. There is love in Christmas that will fulfill and satisfy you in a way that you can't even imagine. So in the spirit of Christmas love, here is a love poem for Christmas found in Luke chapter 2. A love poem for Christmas found in Luke chapter 2. Let's start reading in verse 1. In those days... Now, one of my favorite ways of reading narrative portions of the Bible is to try to put myself in the story. And I think that if this is a familiar passage to you at all, if you've been around church, you've heard this a hundred times, that can be difficult to do. We just read it and, oh yeah, I've heard that. Linus quoted it from the stage. We know that story, right? But let's not miss how huge this is. So Caesar Augustus was kind of a big deal back in the day. And he decided he wanted to find out just how big a deal he really was. So he called for a census. He wanted everyone who was under his rule to go back to the town where they were born and to be registered, to be counted, so that he would get this number and realize, man, I am kind of a big deal. Now, if our government did that to us today... That'd be a pretty huge inconvenience for a lot of us. Say we need everyone to go back to their hometown and be registered so that we know how many people there are. We'd all be like griping and complaining like, oh, I can't do that. That's so much work. It's an inconvenience for us. Imagine even more so being fully pregnant and you have to travel 90 miles before anything like a plane, train, or an automobile existed. So Mary and Joseph would have packed up a, probably a donkey, some type of transportation animal, and made the hike 90 miles to the city of Joseph's ancestors, south along the flatlands of the Jordan River, the, then west over the hills surrounding Jerusalem, and on into Bethlehem. Modern Jerusalem, if you go and see it, you can tell in this whole area that this would not have been an easy trip at all. It would have been very, very difficult I remember when my wife was pregnant and I couldn't get like 10 miles outside of Rochester without it being like a big deal, right? If I had to do any type of trip or anything or there's any type of travel, it's like, nope, like we're a month away. Like we can't touch it. What if, what, what if I go into labor? What if, we're not going to be near the hospital. What are we going to do? My biggest fear was that we'd be trapped in traffic somewhere, right? And I'd have to crawl in the back and deliver my child. And I'm reading this. So I'm like, bro, it could have been the back of a donkey, man. Like a Dodge Caravan ain't that big a deal, Right? So, Mary and Joseph make this trip, and what happens? Verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the end. (laughs) Luke is such a doctor, right? So the author of this gospel, Luke, is a medical doctor. He's a very smart guy who's been hired by another smart guy to basically find out if this whole Jesus thing was legit. That's my paraphrase of the entire book of Luke, okay? But he's a very detailed and astute investigative reporter, but I just love the doctor-esque attitude he takes with those two verses, right? I mean, there's a lot of interesting details in there that he is leaving out. When I ask someone with a newborn child, like, hey, well, you have a baby, like how'd it go? Like, you went to late? like, tell me all the details. They're not like, well, the time came for the child to be born. And so she gave birth, and we wrapped him in a blanket and put him in the sink because there's no room in the bed. Like, if they said that, you'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, why is he in the sink, bro? Like, what happened? No, like, what, how did you know it was time to go into labor? Like, what was surrounding you? What did you eat? Did you eat something? You're not supposed to eat anything. Did, like, who was there? Did people come with you? Were there animals in the barn? Because that's kind of weird. Like, where'd you find the manger? You'd want to know all the details, but we don't get the details. We know the important parts. The other thing I think of is I remember in all of those birthing classes, they were like, you need to have a birth plan. Did you develop your birth plan? You should have a birth plan. I've had two kids. You want to know how many times the birth has gone according to plan? Hold up how many times it's gone according to plan. Zero times. 0 for 2 with the birth plan. And again, I read this and I'm like, Mary, should have had a birth plan. (laughs) No, I'm like, dude, what were you thinking? What was going on through your head? Were you freaking out? Like, can you imagine, like, 90 miles away from home, and this isn't just some young girl. Again, you got to put yourself in the story. This isn't just the girl having her first kid and all that's cute. It's the virgin giving birth to the prophesied Messiah, like an angel showed up at her house and was like, hey, you're going to kind of be a big deal because you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world, and now she's giving birth in a barn. Probably kind of like, is this really how this was? Did I mess up? Did we do something wrong? How, this is not going according to plan. We're in a city we don't really know. Like, yeah, David, Joseph was born here because he's in the lineage of David. But, like, we don't know anybody. We can't even find a hotel room. Now we're in a barn with animals and a mate. Like, what is going on? This is not how I pictured this going. Completely overwhelmed, completely lost. Here's the message we can find this Christmas. There is love for the lost. There's love for the lost. Maybe you're feeling a little lost this Christmas. Your life doesn't look the way you thought it would. There have been some unplanned things that have happened that have taken you off course, some trials that have you feeling down and out. Love is there in the midst of that. And it's probably not in the things you think it is. It's probably in some unexpected things like a baby... In a manger. But there is love for the lost. And this message of love continues. Look at verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear again like we've heard it but let's put ourselves in the story again okay middle of the night watching some sheep probably sitting around a campfire and an angel shows up I'd be kind of like what's the word they use filled with great fear that's a really nice way to put it terrified okay like need a new pair of something like freaked out I always have this picture in my head, too, of like, you know, I grew up like flannel graphs and stuff in Sunday school. So like this pretty angel, like twinkling lights in the sky, like, hey, I have some good news. But it says the angel appeared in their midst, right? It appeared, appeared there with them. This could have been Gabriel. This could have been Gabriel finishing the mission, right? He gave the message to Zachariah. He delivered it to Mary. And now he's like, hey, it's done. It's happened, Right? In the middle of this fear, I just imagine them sitting around this campfire and just like, boop, guy appears. And it says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Every time the glory of the Lord shows up in scripture, it is an overwhelming experience. This isn't some twinkle light in the sky. It's kind of like someone turned the sun on in the middle of the night. And everywhere they look around them is bright white light. And there's a guy beaming in the middle telling them a message. So yeah maybe a little scared. So the angel responds as they usually do. And the angel said to them, verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be, I want you to underline this in your Bible, for all the people. For all the people. And I want to camp out on this for a second because you need to know why this is such a big deal. Why it's a big deal that this angel didn't just show up in a field and the glory of the Lord didn't just pick a space where it could kind of show up and hope that some people were there and whoever was around could listen. No, I believe this is one of the most intentional and beautiful things about the Christmas story. And I don't want us to miss it. You see, the shepherd wasn't just one of the occupations you could choose. Like, hey, Johnny, what do you want to be when you grow up? You want to be a doctor? You want to be a teacher? How about a shepherd? Shepherd was the bottom of the barrel. I was listening to a message from Matt Chandler this week, and he was describing the societal views of shepherds in that day. And he said that while the Bible redeems the view of the shepherd, right? The 23rd Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd. While the Bible might redeem it, in that society, the the shepherd was one of the lowest positions in society And what we know from first century scholars is that the shepherd in this period of time could not hold public office. Their testimony was inadmissible in court as evidence. And the most religiously zealous Jews would not buy milk, wool, or sheep from shepherds because they just assumed that it was stolen. Because what was happening is, so shepherds were hired hands. They didn't own the sheep. So there would be an owner with a flock and he would hire a shepherd. And the shepherd's job was to protect the sheep, but also to like help them grow and feed. And so he'd take them sometimes miles away to find pastures of grass for them to eat. And while he's with them, he would be sleeping with the sheep and doing all this stuff, like hanging out. He'd be there the whole time. And so as the sheep would have offspring, as they would have kids, there was no way for the owner to know which sheep were his. And so the shepherd, the trick of the trade started to be, well, I'll just steal some of these kids, and then I'll take them to the marketplace, and I'll sell their milk and their wool and them, and I'll get a little extra profit on the side. And people started to pick up on this, on this racket, and so the, the religiously zealous Jews like, had wanted nothing to do with it, so they started a boycott to where whenever shepherds would even come in the marketplace, they'd be like, nope, no one's touching your stuff, I don't care where it came from, we don't believe you. And that was even harder because money wasn't as big a currency as it is in our day. There wasn't paper and coins going around as much as it was trading and bartering for things. And so if you were a really good shepherd, your owner, the manager, was paying you with sheep. With the kids, he was like, hey, great job. Like you did a great job with the flock. Here are some sheep. Here's some milk. Here's some wool. Like you can use that for trading in the marketplace. So if you were an awesome shepherd, you had sheep to go and trade, but you'd walk into the marketplace and nobody would touch you because they assumed you were a thief. They just classified you in with the rest of the shepherds. A philosopher in Alexandria, the center of the intellectual world at that time, said this, there is no more a disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. This was the societal view. They were seen as dirty, vagrant, deplorable men. And they weren't even allowed in the temple. Because of their handling of the sheep and because of their supposed lifestyle, they weren't allowed to come and worship and offer sacrifices they were outcasts, they were unloved by all. And yet, moments after the birth of the Savior of the world, the angel comes to tell this incredible news, not to the religious, not to society's elite high class, but in an example of what the love of God is all about. It went to those who could not come to God, so he went to them. The message of love at Christmas is there is love for the unworthy. There is love for the unworthy. I don't care where you came from, what you've been through, what others think about you, or even what you think about yourself. There is a love for you. God's love did not just come for those who have the religious pedigree or that their life is cleaned up enough that they can actually receive it. God chose to tell his greatest act of love to those that were completely unworthy to be loved. And what we realize is that this message is for all the people because we are all unworthy. Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, Those three titles, Savior, Christ, Lord, reveal the greatness of Mary's son. For Savior, Acts 5.31 says, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Christ is Greek for the Hebrew Messiah. It's a title rather than a name. And the Lord, the astonishing announcement, the the thing that the shepherds probably couldn't have even grasped in that moment is that this Messiah who's been born as a baby is the Lord himself. And the Lord God, Savior Christ the Lord, the ones whom the shepherds thought they couldn't get anywhere near, they could, it says, find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And with this announcement the angels rejoice. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, the angels know the full story. They know that peace. Shalom, completion, salvation is now available to those with whom God is pleased. That is, those who have faith in God and accept Him as their Savior. In Luke 15.10, Jesus describes a similar scene to what I imagine the shepherds saw that night when He says, Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I think the angels showed up and were praising God and exalting him because they knew that now there was about to be a party in heaven every time someone chose to accept the fact that this child, this Messiah, came for them. And God didn't just come as a child to say, hey, everyone, I'm still here. I know I've been silent for a few years, but I still exist. So if you just go ahead and accept that and believe that I'm real, then we'll be good. Now, the reason it was such a big deal that the shepherds couldn't make sacrifices in the temple was because they knew they were unworthy. They knew they were unclean, just like everyone else was, but there was no payment for their sins. There was no available possibility for them to get close to God, to be reconciled. And so Jesus says, I love you, so I'm the payment. Because this love came at a cost. This love came at a cost. That's an incredible truth for us. It changes everything. It changed everything for the shepherds. Let's read what happened next. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. It was expected that they were going to do something with the news they had just received. This wasn't something they were supposed to just hear and think, oh, that sounds really cool, cool, a Messiah. I'm sure like the religious people will be really excited about that. Now, Again, the shepherds would have known the prophecies. They would have known the history of their people. They would have known that for over 400 years, this God who is distant to them anyways had been silent. So to hear this news, they had to see it. And in their searching, they find Jesus. And the response when they find Jesus is two things. They tell everyone and they worship. Because when you find the thing that you've been searching for, it brings you the greatest satisfaction, doesn't it? I, um... Just recently had this experience. You know, as a guitar player, there's, like, so there's something special about finding the right guitar. There's something about, you know, you just hold it in your hand. I'm sure it's the same with, like, any type of craft or thing that you're passionate about when there's a tool involved. Like, everybody has their opinions, but different players play different things because that's just what they like. They can't explain it. It's just the, there's a reason they like it. And so uh, I had a unique experience in my life where I took a bunch of old guitar gear and I took it over uh, to Lacrosse to Dave's guitar shop. And if you're a guitar player in, in the area, you've probably heard of Dave's. It's kind of a little mecca. There's a great uh, vintage collection there. It's just a cool spot to be. So I got to trade in all this and I had enough store credit with their shop to buy a new guitar. And so I took two of my buddies, and my friend Brad described it as an episode of Say Yes to the Dress, right? Like, seriously, I'm in there, and there was one point where I'm sitting on a stool, like, playing this guitar, and they both have guitars in each of their hands, and like, how about this one? How about this one? And they'd give it, and they'd run away, and they'd go look for another, and, ooh, this one! And they'd bring it back, and I'd play that one, and, you know, and finally, I'm like, hey, guys, this will probably take an hour, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Three hours later, I'm sitting there, and I've got it down to two guitars, it's like this. Oh man, it was but then like there just came this point where I was like, "This is it," and I said yes. So here's a pic of me with a guitar. Boom! It's beautiful. Looks beautiful on me. It was such a fun process, right? I I was—I knew that I was searching for something. I even had an idea of maybe what it was going to look like or what kind I was looking for. And then, like, I picked something that I wasn't even expecting, but it was like you just knew. And I was like, "Oh, I found it! This is it!" I am just so happy. This is a poor illustration. But I related it this week as I thought of this idea is how we go through life searching for these little things all throughout our life, and when we find them, we're like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like, this is Christmas, right? We're like, oh, I finally got it. I got the gift. But like this guitar, it'll be cool for a little bit, and then I'll get bored of it, and I'll trade it in on a new guitar. And doesn't that sound like life? Even the most sacred things that we search for in our lives When it doesn't fulfill like we thought it was going to, we're like, trade it in. I'll get a new one. This will be the pattern of your life if what you are searching for to give you what you need is anything other than Jesus. It's not Jesus plus a spouse. It's not Jesus plus kids. It's not Jesus plus a nice house, a good job, a cool car, a high status. It's Jesus. It's all found in Jesus. Louis Giglio says it this way. Jesus doesn't just give you what you need. Jesus is what you need. I think the shepherds realize this. We don't know if they were good shepherds or bad shepherds. Scripture doesn't tell us, but maybe at some point they had been tempted to steal and lie and cheat the system. Maybe they knew they were lost and unworthy. And they just wanted to find some form of satisfaction in this life for them. Well, God's so far off, I can't even get close, so I'm just going to find something right now. But when they hear the good news of the Messiah... And he says, for all the people, even you, lowly shepherd. It says they went with haste, like they ran. Can you imagine this scene? I mean, just these shepherds just running. I want to show you a clip from a a short film called The Shepherd. Here's a little context of the film. In the group of shepherds, the main one depicted in this film is a kind of runt in the group piece with a group taking lambs into the Bethlehem marketplace to try and sell them to priests so that they can use them for sacrifices. But the lamb he brings has a blemish and it's rejected. And the priest ridicules him for even bringing it. And when he tries to ask him a question because the shepherd has read the Torah and he has a question about this Messiah, the priest, ridicules him even more. Like, don't ask me questions, you're a shepherd. And later that night around the campfire, his friends mock him for even believing that the Messiah would want something to do with them. And then the angels show up. And they take off. And this shepherd leads the way and his friends follow him. And we're going to pick up in the film right when they find the stable. Let's go ahead and watch this. So beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we must tell someone. Yes. We must tell everyone. We must tell everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Yes, yes, thank, thank, you. You. Thank, you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We've waited for this for so long. So long. <laughs> he's, he's, he's on. on. He's, he's, he's on. on. He's, he's on. Yes, he's, he's on. on. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> No. People must know. People must know. a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. To establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. I told you not to come back here. So where is it? Have you found a spotless lamb for sacrifice? God's message of love at Christmas is this. Love is here, so stop searching. There is love for the lost. There is love for the unworthy. This love came at a cost. Love is here. So stop searching. The perfect sacrifice was made through Jesus Christ. I heard my good friend, Pastor Micah Clutonati, say that the, the beauty of Christmas comes when we realize that the miracle of the manger leads to the power of the cross. God's love wasn't just in coming, it was in dying in our place for our sins and being raised to life to overcome the power of sin in our lives. It is this that causes angels to sing glory to God. It is this that causes shepherds to run to see the scene. It is this that allows us to come here today and receive an invitation to receive the love of God that is greater than anything else you could look for. We're going to close our time this morning by taking communion together. I think that's a, a beautiful thing to do at Christmas, to realize that the manger wasn't the end of the story, that there was a cross on a hill where Jesus bore our sins together. And so we take the bread in our hands and it's as real as the flesh that wrapped that child in the cup through his veins pumping the blood that would eventually be poured out for you and for me. And so we do this as an act of remembering the best thing about Christmas. What God did for us. Maybe you're here this morning, and this could be your first real Christmas. This could be your first opportunity to accept and believe and receive the greatest gift that I could ever give you. And it is the love of a father, the love of the Messiah, Christ, the Lord, that He would come close to you in the midst of feeling lost. Accept the cost and be near, be here with his love. So we're going to pray and then we're going to sing a song and I would just invite you at that point to come down and take the elements and you can receive the elements right at the table here or you can take them back to your seat and and think and meditate on what God has done for you and then take it on your own timing. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me to accept this love today. And the application for you would be to receive communion for the first time as a, as a believer in the, the body, and the blood of Christ being broken and poured out for you, but also as the shepherds did to tell someone. Don't just walk out of here checking a box that, oh, that felt really good. I just wanted to do that. Be bold in your example of saying, man, I made the best decision I've ever made. I stopped making it about myself and I made it about the fact that I need this love in my life. So I'll be down front. There'll be some people who'd love to pray with you, find someone in our church just, just share the good news that has happened in your life. But right now, let's just let's pray and ask God to, again, show us who he is. God, thank you for this word today. Thank you for the, the story, the message of Christmas that draws us into a place where we would understand that it is not about the things that we would receive from other people, but it is about the gift that we can receive from you that Jesus Christ was the spotless lamb needed to allow us to even have this conversation with you right now. And so God, at, at this time of year, we pause. Reflect and we remember, but we look ahead to the day where we will see you face to face and this reconciliation that we feel in our life right now is nothing compared to what it will feel like when we are in your presence fully. And so God, we acknowledge that we are sinners. God, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I can't do it on my own. So, God, I claim you as Lord of my life and I say come into my life and change me. Help me surrender everything that gets in the way, the sin that so easily entangles me up and keeps me away from what you have planned for me. Help me to live for you. Help me to believe these words, God. Have the faith to believe that there's something different about me because of the Holy Spirit that resides in me as I accept Jesus Christ as the payment for my sin. And God, as I look forward as I press on towards this advent that is coming. I say, God, remember me in your kingdom. I love you, Lord. You are the Savior, Christ the Lord. In Jesus' name.